Amen. Amen. I don't think anybody in here will ever say that we don't need Jesus. Amen? We all do. One of the, one of the great ways that we can, we can tell God that we need Him and show Him that we need Him is through prayer. Just tell Him, I need you, God. And through prayer is a great avenue to start, which would be our topic of today, again, today, and probably for at least the next two weeks, maybe three, I'm not sure, as we continue this series on spring into prayer. And I've been going through Matthew chapter 6 on the disciples' prayer. We commonly know it as the Lord's Prayer. If you you weren't with us last week, it's where we are. Last week we spoke um, out of verse 9. is where we spent most of our time. Well, actually, it's where we spent all of our time. And this week, I'll be spending our time in verse 10. Last week, we talked about the paternal prayer, if you remember. Um, If you need notes from last week, if you weren't here, um, I'll give you some notes for it. That's fine. You can go back on the uh, Facebook page and watch it um, streamed. We still have it on on the Facebook site, so you can still go back and watch it if you'd like and to get caught up to speed there. But today, I'm going to be talking about the perfect prayer. The perfect prayer. And, and uh, I know in my imperfectness, there is no perfect prayer that can come to me. But it's the mindset in which we go to God and that we ask for certain things that makes it a perfect prayer. It's from God's point of view. We want everything to be perfect from God. And, and we should act that way when we make our request known to Him or to give thanks to Him, that it should be done with the idea that everything needs to be perfect. So I want to look at that from, I'm going to read uh, verses 9 through 13 today, but I'm going to focus on chapter 10. So if you found the scripture, say amen. And let's stand to our feet in the, order, in the uh, honor of reading God's word this morning. In verse 9 of chapter 6 it says, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll allow me, Father, to speak clearly this morning, Father. Not only do I speak clearly, but I pray that you'll allow us to hear clearly this morning. And Father, between you speaking to me and speaking to us, Father, I pray that you use me in a mighty way, Father. I pray that every word that proceeds from my mouth will be from you. Father, every thought that enters my mind will be from you. Every direction that I go this morning will be directed by you, Father, so that we don't lose sight of who you are. Father, so that you can make yourself very real to us today in our prayer lives, Father. Allow us to see deeper than what we read here on the surface. Allow us to uncover what this Scripture really means for us when we kneel to pray to You, Father. Allow us to know the true meaning of it, Father, than just looking at it on the surface and maybe reciting this prayer is a good thing to do, Father. Teach us deeper than that. Let us know what it truly, truly means to to kneel to You in prayer when we take our petitions to You, Father, when we give thanks to You, when we make our requests known to You, Father. Let us do it with being perfect in our minds, Father, and that be our mindset. We ask these things in Christ's name that you preach to us this morning. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, we're still talking. I I mentioned last Sunday that we were talking about God's interests. If you remember from verse 9, it says, Pray then in this way, our Father. The focus is on the Father. But notice the word our, and I'm just going to kind of 
just give a short synopsis. That, that word our means it's plural. That means more than one. We're all brothers and sisters that we come to God in prayer. So he's saying that we should all pray this way. But it's one person, God the Father. And it states where he is in heaven. And it says, hallowed be your name. And that's where we were last week. So I, I want again, uh, again to, to reiterate that we're talking about God's interests here. In verse 1, we were, or in verse 9, we were talking about God's interests. In verse 10, we're still on God's interests. Because it says, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. In verse 11, we'll start to see some of our own interests and our own needs come into play. But right now, I think it's very appropriate that we address God the, in, in the right way, and that's to make it about Him, because it is truly about Him after all. And we have nothing that we can do that can better God or to teach God. God has that for us. So we need to make this prayer first and foremost about God. Now today when I talk about the perfect prayer, um, I, I want to talk about this. Uh, our greatest desire when we read uh, verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done. Our greatest desire should be for the kingdom of God to be evident throughout everything, throughout all things in the universe. Everything should be focused on God. It's the kingdom of God to be evident everywhere and in all things, and we should pray to that end. And, and part of His kingdom is His will being accomplished. Part of God's kingdom... See, everything in God's kingdom is perfect. So part of His kingdom is having a perfect will. And a lot of people say, well, do these two verses really go together? These two sentences here and the sentences, it switches from... His kingdom to come, and then it talks about His will being done. Well, God's perfect will is done always in His kingdom, always. So the two verses do go together. The two sentences, or two parts of the sentence, do go together, and they fit very well as we'll look at this. So our greatest desire should be for the kingdom of God to be evident everywhere and in all things. Now, it says, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done. But when, when I look at this, I want to ask two questions this morning, like I did last week, I asked two questions. And it pertained to your prayer life. I hope that before the service started, we looked at those questions. And when the service was, was over, when God finished speaking, I pray that you saw your prayer life differently when we talked to God the Father. Now, today is no different. And those two questions that I want to pose to you today is this. The first one is, is do you prefer Satan's rule or God's rule over yourself and others? I think that's a pretty simple question. I don't think anybody's going to say that they prefer Satan's rule over you. You prefer God's rule, correct? I mean, that's safe to assume. We, we, you think, why put such a simple question that you know the answer to? Here's what I want you to focus on. Is The second question right after that is why. Why do you prefer God's rule? Over Satan's rule. Why do you prefer God's authority over you instead of God's uh, instead of Satan's rule over you? Why do you desire that? Why do you want that? Why do you need it? I want you to be able to answer that question. Why, as we look at it a little deeper. The second question is this: Does the will of God supersede your own will, your own agendas, your own thoughts, your own mindset? Does the will of God supersede your own will? Again, that's a pretty simple question. Well, of course it does. But do we always act that way when we pray? Do we always mean that when we say, God, your will be done? Do we always mean that or do we have a hidden agenda and maybe I can just sneak one in on God a little bit here? And the most important question, so the, the simple question, does it supersede God's will? Well, of course it doesn't. Of course God's will super, supersedes mine. But the more important question is the second one behind it, why? I want you to be able to answer this question at the end of this service, 
why is God's will more important? Why is it prominent in my life? And why is my will doesn't even matter. It's not that it's secondary. Now, God makes it secondary for us. He will give us the desires of our heart as long as they're according to his will. So I want you to answer those two questions. We'll look at them later towards the end, and hopefully you'll be able to see them and answer them a little bit differently. Again, the two questions of why are the most important. So the first thing I want to look at, just two points again, is the preferred prayer. As being a perfect prayer, we have to pray the preferred prayer. So which would you prefer, Satan's rule or God's rule? Bringing that question back in again. But before we can answer this question, we have to figure out what is, in verse 10, where it says, Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Now, what does it mean, your kingdom come? What is God's kingdom? We, we have to ask ourselves these questions. If you have your notes, you'll, you'll see there that I, I kind of put them on there. Um, so what is it? What is God's kingdom? Let, let's dive into that just briefly, and let's look at what is God's kingdom. Because in order to pray for God's kingdom to come, you have to know what it is, correct? We, we have to know what God's kingdom is. So let's look at what is God's kingdom. Let's answer that question. The kingdom of God is the rule of an eternal, sovereign God over all the universe. By definition, that's what the kingdom is. If we break that down even more, and we look at it even closer, the kingdom of God is a spiritual rule over the hearts and lives of those who willingly submit to God's authority. Now, now I borrowed that quote there from John MacArthur that I was reading from him one day, and I, I, I remembered that I wanted to quote. That's not my own quote. Those weren't my own words. And I'm going to read it to you again. It's that the kingdom of God is a spiritual rule over the hearts and lives of those who willingly submit to God's authority. It's his kingdom. So, first of all, it's rule from God. It's authority from God. What is the kingdom of God? It's authority from God. If we, if we look in Romans chapter 13, verse 1, it says this, every person is to be subject into, into subjection to the governing authorities. But here's what's interesting that he says after this. He says, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. So any rule, any sovereignty comes from God. That's what this verse is talking about. It, it's specifically teaching us to be subject to our civil laws and things that we that we have here set up on earth, but the reason why is because there's no authority except from God who is in heaven. That's part of his kingdom. So it's a rule from God. It's authority from God. It's a rule or authority over everything. The kingdom of God is the rule and authority over everything. And, and that, that is um, uh, proven by what it says in the, verse, in the book of Psalms, chapter 103, verse 19. It says, "...the Lord has established his throne in the heavens." And his sovereignty rules over everything. His sovereignty rules over all. This is the kingdom of God. It's his sovereignty. It's his authority over everything. And there's a third thing to it, that it's a rule that is established forever. Forever. It doesn't fade away. It doesn't end. Because it, it existed from the beginning. And in Daniel 4.3 it says, "...how great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders." His kingdom, the kingdom of God, is an everlasting kingdom, and his domain is from generation to generation. It is an everlasting kingdom. So it is, it is rule from God, authority from God. It is authority over all things, and it's an authority that will last forever. 
It never fades away. It never stops. God will rule from generation to generation. So we've answered, what is the kingdom of God? And that is it. It's the rule and authority of God over people that know and love and trust Him. And it's everywhere. So the second question is this, is where is the kingdom of God? Where is it? Where, where is the kingdom of God? Can I, can I look at it? Can I touch it? Can I grab it? Can I hold it? Where is the kingdom of God? Well, first of all, it's in heaven. Well, of course, we know that. More specifically, it's in the creation of all things, all universes, the heavens, the earth. Everything shouts God's authority. Everything shouts God's reign. Everything shouts God's rule, his dominion, his sovereignty. And it's also not only in heaven, but it's in our hearts. The, the, the kingdom of God is in the hearts of those that believe him, those that are saved and that trust him. The, 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 the kingdom of God is inside of you. Now, if knowing that the kingdom of God is inside of you, wouldn't you want your prayers to be perfect? I mean, if, if the Holy Spirit is living inside of you and he takes up place and the kingdom of God is not only in the heavens, but it's also in your heart, where he rules and he has authority over your life, only if we subject to that authority, only if we're obedient to his rule, then God's kingdom lives within us. God's kingdom is everywhere. It's everywhere. So that's the short answer. Where is it? It's everywhere. It's in heaven. It's in our hearts. It's also on earth. Now he's pointing to things that will come on earth that we need to pray for this to happen. Now, now let me explain this as, as easily as I can because sometimes I get confused the way it comes out. Sometimes things make sense in my head. Then they leave my mouth. They get all the way across the room and they sound different. I don't know what it is, but there's something in between me and you that distorts those words. So it's not the way I'm saying them. I know it's not. I know I'm saying them clearly. Don't y'all think? Y'all ever have that problem? You explain to somebody and say, man, it makes perfect sense in my head, but it got all the way across, across the room and something interfered it and just jumbled it all up. Let me, let me see if I can explain this very quickly or, or very easily. Um, that the kingdom here on earth, we're, we're talking about things to come. We're talking about the millennium. It's for Jesus to come and rule this world by setting up His perfect kingdom here. Because you see, God's kingdom is here on the earth everywhere, but Satan still rules the earth at this point. S Satan is the ruler. He's the prince of the power of the air. And, and so, so even though God's kingdom is here, it's not of the world. Although it's in the world, it's not of the world. When Jesus said, I am not, and he was telling them, I am not of this world. He says, I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. As a Christian, you're to be in the world, but not of the world. And I think that makes perfect sense. Because that's what Jesus teaches. That we're in the world, but we're not of the world. The kingdom of God is in the world, but it's not of the world, because Satan rules. Now, let, let's look at this. Right now, Satan is ruling this world. He is, work, he is at work in the hearts and minds of the people, influencing them in, a, in an evil way. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, just, just look at this verse. I want you to go home. I want you to read it. I want you to meditate on it. And all he is saying here is that, the, that, that God, the God of this world, being Satan, has blinded the minds. He is distorting our thinking. He is influencing us in a terrible way. So if he is influencing us in a terrible way, we're certainly not talking about God, right? So who is that ruler? It's Satan, of course. It's Satan. And he's, he's blinding us 
through the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel. He distorts our thinking. He influences us in the wrong direction. In John chapter 12, verse 31, it says, Judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Now how do we know we're, not, we're, we're talking about Satan here? Well, God certainly isn't going to cast himself out, right? That's certainly not going to happen. When Jesus comes back, God's not going to cast his own son out. That would be ridiculous. And we know the teachings on God, God's word has to say about that. So if it's not God and God's not going to cast himself out, who is that ruler? Who is that ruler of this world that must be cast out? And it is Satan. I can go into a lot more teaching through, through different books and share a lot more scripture, but I just want to get that point across very quickly. So we should pray, since, since God's kingdom is everywhere, it's in our hearts, and it's in the world but not of the world, we should pray that Jesus come and come quickly. As a matter of fact, the Greek word there, I'm not even going to try to pronounce that Greek word because I'll butcher it, I know, but the Greek word for come here means to come quickly, instantaneously. In other words, to pray for the return of God or for Jesus to come and set up his millennial kingdom. So it's talking about something that's an event that will happen in the future. So he's saying, come quickly. How many of you ever prayed, man, Jesus, come quickly, man, just come get me. This, this world is so evil, you, some days you're just having a particularly bad day, and it seems like many people are against you. And, but, but I think what happens sometimes is, is we, we lose sight of that. I'm sorry, my mind got sidetracked there. I saw a squirrel, and my mind just went on me. So let me get back on, on track here. We're saying that God come quickly. He's having us pray that Jesus will come and set up that millennial kingdom. When we're having a particularly bad day sometimes... Uh, we just want Jesus. We want it to be all over with, don't we? I mean, we don't want to lose our life. We, we're not thinking evil thoughts on ourselves to take our own lives, but what we're saying is, is, man, it sure is going to be a lot better in heaven, isn't it? It's going to be a lot better there. You know, I've got to get up in the morning. I've got to fight traffic. I've got to fight getting up. I've got to fight with people at work. I've got to fight this opposition, that opposition. I get hungry, I get thirsty, I've got to stop and I've got to take a break, I get tired, I get sleepy. And those are the easy things. Those are the easy parts, aren't they? Then you've got the hard parts where finances set into place and, and, and struggles with our houses. Sometimes the house, something in the house breaks and, and we have to spend money to get it done or we have to work at it. And sometimes things at work don't go our way. Sometimes things happen and we slip up, we make mistakes and it makes our job a little tougher. These are... These are some problems that get a little worse. They're, they're more than just the everyday things of dealing with life in general. They're when things start to happen that start to affect our behavior, that start to affect our day, that start to affect our mind and the way we think, and then we, beget, we begin to get our minds off of God. So, so it is about praying for the things to come, that Jesus would come back. And that's what he's talking about in that word come there. So, where is it? It's everywhere. It's in our hearts. It's in the world, not of the world. And why would we pray for it? Here's the third question under this point. Why should we pray for it? Why should we pray for God's kingdom to come? Why should we do that? Well, first of all, it's for ourselves. It's an internal thing, and then it's for others, which is kind of more external. It's for the world. It's for, our, for ourselves uh, first, because the kingdom of God is manifested in our conversion, our salvation. The kingdom of God is manifested in your salvation. 
Because then He comes to live within your heart. He sends the Holy Spirit to lead, guide you, direct you, to give you comfort, to give you peace. So the first and foremost reason is for our own well-being. That the kingdom of God be evident in my life, in my heart. So why do we pray for it? For ourselves. We pray for it for ourselves. The kingdom of God is manifested in our salvation. John 3, 5 through 7 says that Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So salvation uh, is a direct result of the kingdom of God coming into your life and being of your life. Because, see, the kingdom of God might be in your life and around you, but you are not personally of the kingdom of God until you are born again. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. When I tell people, sometimes they look at me with this bewildered look. i got to do what? I, I, you want me to be saved? I mean, I, I've heard that before. I know what you're talking about. But Jesus says right here, don't be amazed that I said this to you, that you must be born again. The kingdom of God is also manifested in our commitment. Our commitment to serve Him, uh, most importantly. It's the external things that we do to show it. When we are ruled by the kingdom of God, then our commitment to God and our service to God will show. Uh, we, we We have no desire to serve God before we are born again. In other words, somebody said, well, doesn't my good works account for anything when it comes time to salvation. No, it does not. We all know that. We've all taught on it. We all learned it. We've learned it in vacation Bible school. We've recited the verses, and we understand that. There's no, there's no, uh, everything there is crystal clear. No mud here. It's all crystal clear. So, so we get that. We understand that, and we know that. We have no desire to serve God uh, before we are born again. You see, we don't do good works to gain salvation we do good works as a result of, of salvation. When God saves us, He changes us. He'll give us the desire to serve Him. It's kind of like at your job, you, you know, you, you tell the boss, you know, if you'll give me $15 an hour, I'll give you $15 worth of work every hour. Just give me a raise from $5 an hour to $15 an hour and I'll do the work. He says, no, you do the work first and then I'll give you the money. That's how it works. We don't do good works to gain salvation. We do good works as a result of salvation. And we, should, we would do well to remember that. So it's also for others, for God's kingdom to rule in the hearts and the minds of others, not just our own. Do you know someone that you wish God's kingdom would come into their life? Do you, do you know somebody that needs to be saved and they need to experience the kingdom of God in their life? So it's for others. The reason we pray for God's kingdom to come is not just for the millennial kingdom, but it's for each other in the here and now, for God's kingdom to come into their life, for God's kingdom to be stronger in my own life. That's what we pray for when we pray the kingdom of God come. You see, it's a lot deeper than on the surface that we read. So when we pray, when we kneel to pray, we need to, do, we need to remember these things. It's also for Christ to, to rule in the hearts and minds of everyone during that millennium, when he will come in the future to set up that millennial kingdom. But it's also to rule in the hearts and the minds of everyone now. So which do you prefer? Satan's rule or God's rule? Because Satan's rule is simple. We can go over that in no time. He just wants to destroy you. End of the story. The teachings on God and his kingdom go a little bit further. So now that we've looked at the preferred prayer, 
I want to look at the perfect prayer. And you might say, man, I know about that. that I, I, I have trouble with it too because I'm, in my imperfection, I stutter, I stammer. Sometimes I get the words wrong. Sometimes I try the word in the wrong way. Uh, sometimes I'll spell the word wrong if I'm writing to somebody. I mean, I, I'm not perfect. But the perfect prayer that I'm talking about is that God's perfect plan be done in our lives and on this earth. That's what I'm talking about. Praying the perfect prayer that God's perfect will be done. And that's the second point that I want to look at, this perfect prayer. Does God act on and respond to your prayers? That's a question I'm posing to you. Does God act on and respond to your prayers? Do you, do you truly believe that God acts upon? In other words, can you hasten God to do something for you in your life? And the answer is absolutely. Because you see, and, and, and so I get this right because I wrote it out to make sure I didn't mess it up. If he didn't act upon our prayers, then our prayers would be meaningless. There would no, be no need to pray. If God didn't act on our prayers and everything that God had is sovereign, he controlled every little aspect of our life and he gave us no choice whatsoever to make any choices on our own, we wouldn't need prayer. So the fact of the matter is, is that prayer does hasten God to act on behalf of our prayers. And I want us to understand that. Jesus' teaching on prayer would be meaningless if God never reacted to our prayers. So why would Jesus teach on prayer if God was sovereign, he's got it all rigged anyway, and he's just going to do what he wants, and there's no reason for you to pray? God does act on your prayers. The teachings tell us that. Jesus taught on it. So yes, he does act on them. But we must ask God the correct things. That's where we go askew. Well, God's not reacting to my prayers. Maybe you're asking for the wrong thing. Maybe we need to start asking according to God's will. Well, well how do I know that? What do I do to know that? Well, let's look into it. We're looking at the perfect prayer. God's will, we're praying that God's will, which is perfect. Don't you all agree that God's will is perfect? I feel like I'm losing some people here. Don't, don't you feel that God's will is perfect? That everything God in, in, in all of his omniscience and all of his omnipotence, don't you agree that God's will is perfect? Why would we want, want that in our life? In our life? A, a second question, is your will perfect? I know mine's not because sometimes mine's filled with desires that I really don't need. Desires that might get in the way of my ministry or my walk with God. So why would I need them? Only God's will in our life is the perfect will. So we need to pray according to God's will for everything in our life. It's to pray that God's will become our will, not our will to become God's will. And I know a lot of us would like, man, God, if you just see this my way, just this one time, if you just see it my way, I could be driving a brand new Corvette. I'm still praying for that brand new Corvette, by the way. Y'all think I'm not. I'm still praying for that brand new Corvette. But, but listen... We need to pray God's will to become our will. When, when we go to him with our agendas and the desires of our hearts that can get in the way of his will, what we're asking him to do is to bend his will into our way of thinking and for it to become our will. We're doing it backwards. Are we praying because we think we have to? Here's some questions for you. Do you pray because you think you have to or are you praying that God's will be done in every aspect of your life? 
This is what he's talking about when he says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've moved on to the second part, which is uh, our, uh, your will be done. So does, are you praying because you think you have to? Does our will have precedent over God's will? Does, does your will and your desires, your agendas, supersede God's? Because it should not. God's will should supersede yours. God's will should be most prominent in your life. Do you pray to get God to change His mind or to change His will to meet your, uh, to meet your agenda and your personal gain? And I don't want you to think about these things. You're saying, well, of course not. I want you to truly think about it. I don't want you to, I don't want you to, to raise your hand and say, man, I'm, I'm guilty. I just want you to ask the, yourself these questions. Is this how you go to God in prayer? With your own agendas first and foremost, or do you truly believe that God's will is best? Because sometimes we'll say, God, I know your will be done, but this, and then we use that word, but, but, but this is, it's a pretty big mountain, God. It's a pretty big mountain. And I think we're going to need more than just a shovel to get through it. Man, we're going to need dynamites, we're going to need trucks, we're going to need a crew to come out here. We've got to get this mountain moved. Or do we trust God that he will move the mountain? Do you pray not only, or do you pray only not believing that anything will happen? Do you, do, you, do you think when you pray that nothing will happen in the back of your mind? Well, I'm going to pray this because I'm praying out of obligation. And I don't think it's really going to happen, but I'm going to pray it anyway. Have you ever gone there with that frame of mind? Or are you truly praying the will of God? I think if we're very honest with ourselves, all of us would agree, even myself. Sometimes I don't go with the purest motivation on getting or, or believing that God can get these things done. Sometimes I don't go to God with any faith. Do you not believe that God will act on your behalf of your prayer? God's teachings on prayer would be meaningless if we thought that way. So, we, are we praying out of obligation or are we praying God's will? And I know sometimes this stuff is boring, but I want you to keep listening. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. This says that God's will is perfect and acceptable. You see that? What is good and acceptable and perfect from God? So God's will is perfect. So we need to pray that perfect prayer. How do you pray the perfect prayer? God, I truly want your will to be done in my life and on this earth. Apparently, apparently God's will is not always done, and it's not always a priority in, a, in our life. Apparently, sometimes God's will is not done because we don't pray it that way. So sometimes it's not done. If, if it was always done, God would have never had Jesus teach this to the disciples in the first place. He never would have had them teach on it. If it were, then there would be no reason for him to teach us to pray God's will. We have to pray the will of God, not our own. We have to pray that God's will prevail over our own agendas and thoughts. We have to pray in faith, expecting God to answer. Sometimes we go to God and we pray and we just don't expect anything to happen. We truly just don't think anything will happen. But we feel we have to pray anyway because he told us to. Just because he told us to. We have to pray in confidence that God will act on our faithful and diligent prayers. Remember, this is about God's interests, not our own. Remember, we, at the beginning, this is about God's interests. It's not about ours. It's about God's will, not our will. 
God's will in heaven can be brought to earth in the world and in our hearts. Now, we all agree that everything in heaven is perfect. We, we established that at the beginning of this, of this message, that His will in heaven is perfect beyond our comprehension of perfect. You can think of the most perfect thought that you can think of, and it doesn't come close to what God's perfection is. So we can't comprehend perfection from God. We will, when we get to heaven and we're in His glory, we'll understand it. This includes His will. Everything in heaven that's perfect is His will. Would you agree that everything in heaven is done perfectly? The streets are perfect. The mansions are perfect. The people are perfect. God is perfect. The angels that dwell there are perfect. Everything is perfect. Everything that happens in heaven is perfect. It's on God's time. It's in God's way. It's for God's glory. Would you agree that the perfect will of heaven is done every single day, every second of every day in, in heaven? What he's telling us to do is pray that perfect will in heaven to be done here on earth. Now, we can look at that in a couple of ways. One, to be done on earth in our hearts, not just on the soil and with the land. That's important too, but I'm talking more specifically a spiritual will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, God's perfect will be done in your life. God's will to be perfectly done in everyone else's life. God's will to be done perfectly in the whole, on the whole globe, collectively, as a human race, that God's will be done. Can you imagine getting up in the morning, popping wide awake, not feeling groggy? How many of you walk into the door five minutes after you're awake? I don't. I do it about 30 seconds after I'm awake. But how many of you would just love to pop open and just have all this energy, get out of the door on time, Amen? Leave the house on time. And I know because some of you got here late this morning, so you got a perfect shot. How would it be for everything in, in, in this world to be perfect like it is in heaven? When you go to work, every traffic light is green and there's no traffic in the way. I'm thinking about purchasing me one of those Jetson cars and just flying over the top of everybody. But, but can you imagine going to work... There'll never be a conflict. There'll never be an issue. All the figures add up. Everybody's happy. And everybody's encouraging. Wouldn't that be great here on this earth? In your life, things can be perfect when you pray God to make them perfect. His will on earth be done in our lives. Now, I'm, I'm talking about silly little things that we fight every day. But when we're talking about the direction of our life and God's will being done in our lives, he's asking us, God, would you take the perfect will that's done in heaven, apply it to my life, and let me serve you diligently and be as perfect as I know how to be? And we are imperfect. But we're asking God's perfect will to be done in our life. For everybody that we talk to, to plant a seed of the gospel in their hearts. So we have to pray God's will. Romans 12, 2 says... Do not be conformed to this world. I'm sorry, I already read that. Let me go down to the other scripture. But before I do that, God's will in heaven is to be brought here on earth. When we pray God's will, then we're praying in opposition to, to Satan's rule. Did you know that? If you're praying for God's rule, you're praying in opposition to Satan's rule. The musicians, you can come forward. I, I meant to tell you that a moment ago, but you can come forward if you'd like. We should also pray in faith. See, a lot of times we kneel down, we don't pray in faith. We don't, we don't, we're not always convinced that God's will is going to happen in our lives. 
We're not always convinced of that, are we? We're not always convinced and trust God that He's going to do anything to react on our prayers. We've already established that fact that God does react on our prayers and He does act to our prayers. So it's casting out your own agendas and thoughts and trusting God that He is righteous and just, praying that His will be done and not our desires. It's desiring God's perfect will in heaven to be brought to this evil and wicked world. So when we read the words in chapter 6, verse 10, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. It gives us a little bit different meaning when we start to tear it down. What is God's kingdom? What does it mean for us? What is His perfect will? What does it mean for us? How do we pray it? Why do we pray it? When do we pray it? And I would, I would say pray it all the time. Pray it all the time. So now that we're done, before we sing this last song, I'd like to look at those two questions again. And those are, do you prefer Satan's rule or God's rule over yourself and others? That question, I imagine, stayed the same. Of course you prefer God's rule. But do you understand a little bit more now why you prefer God's rule? To understand His kingdom and to pray that His kingdom come. And the second question, does the will of God supersede your own? Again, I think that question, the answer, remained the same. Of course you, 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 uh, you let God's will supersede your own and your own agenda. But do you understand the second question, why it should supersede your own agenda? Do you understand how to better pray for that? Do you understand better how God's perfect will can be done in your life? When Jesus told his disciples to pray in this way, he wasn't telling them to repeat these words. He wasn't saying be repetitious. What he was saying was pray specifically for these topics that I'm giving you, these things that I'm setting before you now. And that includes his perfect will. That includes that his kingdom come, and it come quickly. Because sometimes, I, I tell you, I'm, I'm just tired and I just want Jesus to come back. Man, everything's going to be so perfect. And everything's going to be okay. And we don't always look for that day. Because we have too many things that we want to do. We have too much money we want to make. We have too many people that we want to see. We have too many places in which we want to travel. And we take our mind and our focus off the coming kingdom of God. So we stand and sing today this last song. If you're saying, Pastor, I, I don't understand what you're talking about. I don't understand the kingdom of God. I want to understand it better, but I don't... I've got to start in a place where I can understand it, and that's with Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, there's a huge problem. So as we stand and sing today, listen to the words of this song, and I want you to ask yourself this question. Do you know who Jesus is to be able to understand and comprehend the kingdom of God? Do you know Jesus in order for you to be able to comprehend and understand the will of God? And if you don't know Jesus, there's no way you can pray those prayers. So let's stand and sing. And if you've got a question about this Jesus, please come and talk to me about him. I would love to tell you.